0: professor at the uh, school of management and marketing at curtin university in 2022 we're adding to our hr disrupted podcasts with a new series that we are calling hr disrupted take 5 why we're we calling it that uh, i'm not really sure but anyway uh, and what we're doing uh, is having conversations with hr leader leaders and managers about their careers their roles and particularly about uh, innovation and disruption uh, in hr so before I introduce today's guest, I would like, first of all, to acknowledge the Wadjuk Nunga uh, peoples, who are the traditional owners of, uh, of this uh, location, uh, and the elders past, uh, present and emerging. So today I'm delighted to uh, introduce um, Vanessa Gilbert. Uh, Vanessa is a learning and organizational development uh, professional and manager uh, with extensive uh, experience in designing and delivering uh, workforce uh, development solutions. And uh, as Vanessa writes, it's uh, that's a really big way of saying uh, if there is a people initiative to support employees in their jobs and the business in achieving its outcomes, then she's going to be uh, one of the first ones uh, to get stuck into it. So Vanessa started as an HR generalist. She moved into the learning space about 10 years ago and uh, built her capability to support others in their careers, as well as uh, supporting her organizations in creating systems and cultures where effective development is accessed in the right way at the right time. She is currently the Learning and Development Manager at uh, BGC and is responsible for aligning learning systems and creating learning opportunities as well as supporting the business with its people and culture practices, especially in relation to its strategy, diversity and inclusion uh, and employee engagement. So obviously Vanessa has a pretty big role there at uh, BGC. In her spare time, uh, I can't believe this, but she says that uh, in between annoying her husband and her kids, uh, she's also an avid netball player and coach and has also recently gotten into the art of Makrami as a means of unleashing some creativity and quiet- quietening her mind. Um, I think I might have to get, perhaps I should get into macramé uh, myself, uh, uh, Vanessa. Uh, who knows? <laughs> anyway. Welcome Vanessa, thanks very much for joining us on the uh, podcast, it's great to have you here. We've known each other for a little while and I'm looking forward to our chat today, so welcome along.
1: Oh thanks Dave, um, yeah thanks for having me today. Um, Again, yeah, anytime you want to learn uh, a thing or two about macrame, just yeah, give us a hi.
0: Oh <laughs> will do. Okay, let's start with a couple of easy ones then Vanessa to get us going. I wonder if you could just give us a brief overview of your, uh, your career in HR up to... Um, up to this point, and and particularly perhaps if you could, some upsides and some downsides of of what you've experienced.
1: Yeah, sure, sure. Um, And I'll try to keep it brief because I've had a bit of a, a long career in HR, and interestingly, I actually never set out to start in HR, even in the learning and development space. I actually left uh, when I left school. I went and studied primary teaching, thinking, "Oh, that's a nice little profession to go into. I'm good with kids." Um, turns out I'm not good with kids, and um, I switched across to an accounting degree because I thought I'm great with numbers, and um, yeah, and I was great, I was great with numbers until I did tax accounting. Then I went, "Actually, this is not exciting me at all." And I happened to stumble into a HR unit, and I just realised I absolutely loved it. I've always loved people. Um, so, yeah, so there on started my degree and I was pretty lucky to be well supported in those early days with my employer um, paying for my qualification as well as getting me the kickstart into the HR administration and payroll side of things. Um, but then there afterwards, um, yeah, it started popping out a few kids. Um, so trying to balance my career with a, you know, a growing young family, I actually found that a little bit of a struggle and I don't know if that came down to lack of experience or lack of reputation out there but I really struggled and I was probably you know this is 16 17 years ago and I think things have changed a lot since but trying to get a part-time role to to enable me to have uh, challenging work as well as you know raise my young family I actually found that quite difficult and I thought it's probably one of the the experiences that drive one of my values about, you know, being flexible and, and recognising people for just beyond who they are um, within their work. And I hope as a leader, you know, I can support my people in, you know, being themselves and, and you know, around their work. Um, I only really kicked into the learning space about 10, 11 years ago. And this is probably uh, I think I've always linked to doing um, learning and development, you know, in every role, I've tried to seek out opportunities to train others, to to engage and work with others. Um, and I, again, I was with a leader who straight up, you know, gave me the the career opportunity and say, you know, set up this function, worked with this manager to to set up all the systems, and it was a really great opportunity, and it really kickstarted me in the learning and development space. Um, I'm also now working with a fantastic leader who's further expanding my skill set, you know, recognising my HR background and being involved with the broader um, org development type of things around diversity, employee engagement, culture and those types of things. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's a hell of a lot of fun, that's for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Upsides you talk about you asked about upsides and downsides I think you know the upsides with um, my career and the profession in general is um, are those workplaces that challenge you and make you think I've been fortunate enough to have worked in a few workplaces that have given me opportunities to learn and grow and they've really stuck with me. Um, and I think not only just professionally, but personally, they've made a difference. Um, and, you know, it's one of the inspirations for me, and I hope I can create that for other people. Um, I think the other upside, and, and we're pretty privileged in our profession to be able to work alongside and with and in the business. Um, and we're seeing that more and more, I guess, these days as HR professionals, as we tend to um Push a bit of the responsibility of the, the HR, the general day to day processing back to line managers. So, our role is about upskilling them and making sure they've got the capabilities um, in that space, but working alongside the business to help achieve their um, financial operational outcomes, whatever that might be. And I think, you know, us and maybe a few other different professions are the lucky few. You get to straddle both sides, be experts in our HR field, but really get to feel the business. And I think um, that also makes it um, fun. Um, If I was to say a downside, I think at times in my career, and I think everybody has this in their career, where sometimes you're just in the wrong job. Um, And I remember a lecture at uni years ago talking about being promoted to the point of incompetence, and it's always stuck with me. Um, and at times I go, oh, is this me? Is am I am I uh, in a point of incompetence? And I think it's all about the way that you're framing those situations and the level of support that you have around you. I found that you know at times um, I can either flourish or flounder in some roles, um, and in particular, you know where I have floundered, it's you know, it's around the support that I have um, around me as opposed to a, a capability issue in yeah. itself. Um, but I've had other leaders who've absolutely supported, encouraged, challenged me um, and helped me build on my own strengths while still developing those areas that I'm not quite good at yet.
0: Right. Right. Well, that's interesting. Before we go on to the second sort of question, uh, Vanessa, I wonder if you could just I mean, obviously, when you began your HR career and you had a, a, a new and growing family, it was obviously um, sort of difficult or complex. What? what sort of advice would you give, you know, 15 or 16 years on to a young woman in a similar position today about uh, balancing that, um, you know, that kind of desire for a career with uh, being very important in raising a, a family?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Look, great question. And it's probably two things that jump out this the start of my, uh, my mind. One is you've got to honour who you are as a whole person. And that's one thing I think i it took me a lot longer to learn than it should have, um, was making the time to do the stuff that I enjoyed. So um, what I often experienced was, I, well, whilst I was raising my kids was guilt so uh, which is this leads to the second point is trying to find a way to let go of guilt um when i was at work it was guilt that part of my mind was on my kids were they're going to be okay at daycare are they okay at school what's for you know what's going to be for dinner and um you know what's coming up it's just constant thinking but then when you're at home it's just like well, was that guilt for you know am i contributing at work um, right. so it's just trying to, to balance that out and one of the and this is probably why i, I you know pointed out about doing macrame and playing netball. One of the things that was a turning point for me was embracing the things that I love um, because they were me as a whole person. Um, I'm creative and the has enabled me to unleash that. I love playing netball. Um, playing and coaching just enables me to be me. So I'm more than just someone who goes to work. I'm more than a mother. I'm this whole person. And I think oh, if I learnt that 16, 17 years ago, I probably wouldn't have felt as guilty as I did for a while.
0: Right, that's interesting. Fascinating stuff. because obviously a lot, of the, a lot of the conversation about balance is obviously how people, um, you know, and certainly women balance their time. But obviously, you also you've mentioned how important it is to sort of balance your feelings. Yeah. Um, that uh, that you experience because of you know those dual commitments and so on. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Yeah.
0: OK, so um, I know that you're in and you've been in a, a, a sort of very challenging environment uh, with your work at BGC. So I wonder if you could describe a little bit about what's currently going on for you uh, and um, and, you know, the kind of uh, perception that HR has in, in BGC and uh, and so on. What what can you give us sort of describe your current organisational context?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um... And I think I'd start by saying, and when we talk about challenging contexts, it actually can be a fun, challenging context. And that's absolutely how I would uh, describe where I'm at with BGC. Um, I think it might be surprising for people listening to this to know that prior to January 2020, BGC didn't have a strategic HR function. We had the operational HR, um, but strategic HR and a whole of business approach to HR just didn't exist. But um, in 2019, we had a new leadership come in. Um, They identified the need that, um, yeah, there needed to be the strategic approach to HR, um, to work alongside the business to further enhance employee experiences. So um, since that date, we've seen new leadership, not just at the senior level, but across the group, um, new roles come in like mine. So my role only existed, you know, I only joined January, no, June 2020. Um, We've seen a new operating model, we've seen new structures, um, and we've seen a more contemporary and strategic approach to HR. So roles like ours, and particularly given, you know, respecting the context in which um, we come in, you know, ours is a very light touch. Our whole corporate is a very light touch. It's about, you know, the focus on how can we make the lives easier for our people out in the business? How can we help drive business outcomes? Um, And really trying to stay on task around that one. So if I was to say, you know, a judgment about HR was perceived and regarded, um probably, you know, I couldn't comment pre-2019 given I wasn't there, but but there certainly is massive appetite now. Um, there's huge commitment at a senior level for a lot of those people type initiatives. Um, I'm lucky that senior executive were well on board before I even started. So, you know, it makes roles like mine very easy to, to come in um, and know that we've got the backing um, of senior leaders. Um, we've got a seat at the table at senior executive. Um, we talk about, we measure, um, we keep front and centre those people initiatives and we work very closely with the business um, to ensure that what we're delivering uh, are very much aligned to their business outcomes.
0: Right. And from your point of view, in terms of your role specifically, uh, Vanessa, what what are the three or four key uh, aspects of your role at the moment? In terms of you know what your I guess your your key responsibilities or, or your sort of key objectives?
1: Yeah, yeah. So look, I'm pretty lucky because given our history, um, it, so my role is very much about sort of some fundamental, significant change in the learning space. So a lot of my role, and it was just me for a little while, and we're building a team um, around, and I work very closely with the HR business partners, managers, a change manager, um, our operations, we work quite collaboratively. But it's about, for me, it's about establishing learning systems and structures to ensure that our people can access appropriate development. Um, so that's one component of my role, so some of it is quite you know, transactional, operational, getting a learning management system in place that, that fits, that's fit for purpose for the whole group, um, so they were able to get data and use data and, and um, give it another mechanism for people to access learning. Um, there's other components where we're looking. I look at the strategic element of things, so whether it's designing people's strategy or looking at a diversity inclusion strategy, um, looking at the way that we engage with our people, so getting metrics and helping put strategies together with the business units around um, how we can improve employee experiences. Um, I would describe the role as uh, one that's about ensuring it's a constant um checking in that what we're doing is very much aligned to business outcomes um, that we're not creating sort of outcomes or or things in place that just you know fit our profession but it's more about okay what is it that we're doing that can actually contribute to the bottom line uh, make a difference and actually not put some any onerous work back out in the business units in fact how can we free them up so they can focus on the stuff that they need to focus on
0: right excellent one of the things I want to move into now, Vanessa, is your you know the the areas that uh, you mentioned that it would be good for us to talk about. So um, and, and as far as I understand it, it's it's really about uh, trying to create a sort of environment uh, where um, we can um, start to think about how to dis- disrupt in particular sort of HRM. So perhaps you could say a little bit about what your thinking is in in that uh, in that regard.
1: Yeah, look, and I think probably the first thing I'd say is that the way that we disrupt is very contextual. And I I think I've been pretty lucky in the last few years to work in almost polar opposite type organisations in terms of context. So, you know, as I described at BGC, you know, this is quite new. So disrupting within um, any sort of people related side of things at BGC has been quite easy. Everything that we're doing is disrupting. The way that they do things really challenging our people to think differently about the way they engage with their people. Um, so it's actually been quite easy, but you know I've seen contemporary, you know how things really could work um, in a very contemporary way, um, and putting things you know super contemporary probably just don't fit, are uh, not fit for purpose when we're thinking about what BGC needs right now.
0: Right.
1: Then you in the polar opposite, I've worked with an organization um, that was very contemporary. They had awesome systems in place. Um, so a lot of the focus in terms of being disruptive, innovative, experimental, um, was very much part of how they built it into their sort of their rituals or their mechanisms or the way that they did work. Um, and I, I found that experience quite interesting. And I think what I learnt from for me personally is I, I fit much better where it's um, significant disruption that's needed. Um, I'm probably not as creative when it comes to something that's already well-established. But what I did take from that very well-established organisation were some of the the little fundamental mechanisms or I guess you could say almost cultural elements, the the things that you do as a leader or you create in your environment um, that can enable innovation and experimentation uh, within the workplace. So if I think about um, the contemporary organisation, what they did well was they embraced uh, agile thinking or agile principles into the way that they uh, coordinated their operations. Um, And so by that, you know, they actually did stand-ups. They did two-weekly sprints. They did collaborative um, decision-making and collaborative planning. Um, they did, uh, they allocated time and space to, um, to experiment, uh, very much testing and learning was part of the way that things were done. Um, and it it was a genuine curiosity that was just part of the way that things were done, um, in the business. And I would say that, you know, we're trying to embrace a number of those principles, uh, within us at BGC, but because a lot of the stuff that we're doing is very foundational, yeah, it's it's
0: just disrupted by just it's it's true nature. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so I, yeah, I guess what I'm hearing, Vanessa, is if you're in an organisation which doesn't, in some ways, have any kind of systems or processes, uh, there isn't really anything to disrupt. And and actually, by putting those things in place, you are being disruptive of a yeah. a previous situation where there was really kind of sort of nothing, uh, almost yeah. a vacuum, and so on. Yeah. yeah yeah interesting and how how the the kinds of you know and i think we can call that disruption too how is that uh, being received uh, in in the organization do you think
1: yeah so in terms of and it's interesting so if i and i, I like sort of reflecting on both the two different polar types of organizations if i think about bgc at the moment um and the level of disruption i think um more often than not our people are very open to it and, and i i i and, and I love hearing feedback from our people who say, this is such a welcome change. We've been crying out for this. Um, we're really excited with the direction that the business is heading. We do sort of, you know, um, sort of litmus tests with the, within the business to get a, a sense of how they're feeling and thinking. Um, so it's really encouraging that there is a huge appetite for this disruption within the business. Um, I think with some things, you know, it's not consistent, you know, one hundred percent across the organisation that that people get on board with the different um, ways that we're disrupting that um, the way they deal with anything related to people. Um, everybody's different in that journey, and particularly if you're dealing with longtime managers who've run a business that's that's been fine without you. Why should I need to change? Um, you know, it just really challenges you to be. You have to be really clear as to the why. Uh, that you are you are disrupting. You know what's in it for them uh, if they're going to take on some of the the initiatives that you're trying to work with them on. If that makes sense, right. Um, and, that,
0: and those initiatives would be in sort of uh, you know, foundational HR activities.
1: Yeah, yeah. So think about, so for example, you know, foundational performance reviews, you know, um, what we know, and I love the performance review conversation because I think it's one we've been having for 20 plus years. We need to disrupt and change the way that we're having performance conversations. There's plenty of research out there that talks about, you know, we need to move away from one style and move towards the other. Um, but then there's a question about how do you get... business along the line um in that regard so you know we're talking about trying to to create a culture where our people are having regular conversations with our people and just capturing it somewhere so we've got data that we can work with Mm. and most of the business very much on board with that Um, some parts of the business are already very well established in having those regular conversations where others are not Um, so you're dealing with a very Different, um, yeah, perceptions um, of you, you know, the value that these different systems will, will will play out in different people's businesses. Yeah. So it's, I, yeah, it keeps you on your toes.
0: Yeah, and I know that some time ago we had a, con- a conversation about you know the idea of uh, sort of developing. A, I think it was a BGC way. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, uh, and how's how's that going along? Is that something oh. still?
1: Yeah, 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 no, it's actually, um, we actually launched the BGC Way back in late 2020, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and that was, yeah, that was actually a really exciting piece of work. And that was the one that, you know, proudly can say that you know, um, the employees very, very much embraced. Um, so the BGC Way, for those listening, is all about defining, identifying, and having a clear purpose, strategy, and values within the business. And it was, pull together um, in recognition um, and you know respecting the history of the organization but also acknowledging where is it that we need to go going forward what is it that unites us as a business and what's our defining purpose. So um, that was fleshed out and then it was um, yeah um, I guess shared with the, the whole of the business, you know what does it mean for them? It's creating a sense of purpose for our people. And it's, you know, it's quite interesting and I think it's no secret, you know, you see it all in the media many years ago about BGC seeking to be purchased um, or, you know, changing shareholder. Um, So, you know, prior to the BGC way, you'd ask people, what's our purpose? Why do we exist? And they tell you it's just to be sold. You know, it's not a very compelling purpose. So the BGC way really um, got them to rethink about what it is that they're there for, to know that, you know, they're there to build the future for more Australians. Um, That's our purpose. Um, And and how do they contribute uh, towards that, you know, identifying those key strategies and how they play, because what we do know is that when you've got a sense of purpose, you know, you're more likely to be engaged um, within the business. And it's certainly playing out in the metrics that we're observing um, following the launch of the BGC way.
0: Okay. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Hey, look, we're nearly out of time, Vanessa, but I wondered if I could just ask a final question, which I, you know, I like to ask uh, everybody who comes through, which is, um, you yeah, know, if you were to give advice now for uh, a young person thinking about developing their career in, uh, you know, in, in HR generally and so on, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, what, what would be the three pieces of advice do you think that uh, you would, you would give them based on your, you know, your career and, and your experience?
1: yeah yeah um good question so i think the first thing is to get into experience as early as possible i know uh when i first was studying and got my undergrad and obviously this is a long way ago um i probably you could have used that time whilst i was studying to get some further experience i think it's about identifying those opportunities to get um experience regardless of what it is whether it's just it's payroll it's it's admin it's operations it's volunteering it's it's whatever it might be but those experiences really add up and help um yeah develop you as a learning um, a hr professional um probably the second thing is um you've got to stay curious you've got to continuously learn and i think that's not just to hr professionals i just think that's um anybody in general, I think, you know, you've got to embrace lifelong learning. You've got to be curious. Um, you've got to expose yourself to different thinkings, even if you don't agree with it. It, it challenges you and th- um, makes you think. Um, it helps you unlearn potentially some old ways of thinking and relearn new ones. So I think that whole continuous learning um, is really important. Um And I think with HR, look, it depends. I remember having a conversation with, um, oh, just years ago, and we're talking about the different trajectories that you can take when you have a HR career, Um, and they tend to be one of two. Um, And obviously, there's multiple variations of these, but you tend to either go down the employee relations path or you tend to go down the learning and organisational development path. And I noticed that there's, you know, difference of, um yeah interests and strengths that play out in those two paths and what i would say is get the breadth of experience as a hr professional um to to work out where's the pathway that you want to go down so um i for example i've got a new learning and development coordinator who's working with me she's got a hr background but she's moving into the learning space to broaden um and give her breadth of experience across uh, the hr functions so i would suggest to um, uh, yeah, our young people coming through, broaden your experience, um, and really um, yeah, get as diverse as you can. Try different industries, ty- try different types of organisations, because um, it can only make you a richer professional.
0: Right, great, right. great advice, Vanessa. Um, now, thank you very much for your time this morning. That's been a fascinating conversation, uh, and um, and I look forward to uh, to organising that and uh, and getting that up. Uh, so yep. that we can get it out for other people uh, to uh, to listen to. So once awesome. again, thanks very much. Uh, enjoy the heat uh, and uh, and we'll catch up soon, I'm sure.
1: Awesome thanks Steve. Bye. okay, see ya.